Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Titus. We're going to be in, in Titus chapter 2. We're finishing the second chapter of Titus today. We, after today, uh, we have two more weeks in Titus. We're going to do something a little bit different um, for the Christmas Eve service, uh, but we're uh, going to finish up our study of Titus this year. But we'll be in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 15 this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father God, we once again just thank you and praise you. And Lord, especially during this Christmas season, Lord, we just praise you for for coming down to us. Lord, we have hope today that you're going to return based upon the fact that you showed up the first time. And Lord, in your coming, all all of our gospel hopes uh, are on display there. And Lord, we thank you that when you came, You didn't give us what we deserved, but you gave us mercy instead. You could have given us justice. That's what we deserve. We confess that. We know that. Lord, we also profess our faith in the fact that you gave us grace instead. And and Lord, as we step into this passage today in Titus 2, I pray that as we reflect upon your grace today, I pray that it would just refresh our souls. I I know that when we come in here, some of us have hard hearts and cold hearts. And so, Lord, especially for those of us who have hard hearts and cold hearts today, may your word just be refreshing. May your spirit couple with your word and help us just to see your grace as glorious in ways that just stir our souls. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, God's grace is both the inspiration for as well as the joy of life and ministry. Listen, like, like many of you, uh, grace is, is really a theme of my life. And uh, Kristen and I, the first church we planted was named Grace Community Church. And, and then uh, when we had a daughter, we gave her a middle name of Grace. And when we had a Labradoodle, we named the Labradoodle Gracie. And so Grace has just kind of been thematic for us, and, and it has maybe for you. However, I've also found uh, that uh, I have to, to preach grace to myself. Like I know with my head that God's grace is the inspiration for and the joy of life and ministry. I know that. But I have to preach that to myself. I I don't always just naturally uh, get inspired by and joy in the grace of God. And and listen, that's that's not a grace problem. Like, Like that reality is not because grace is deficient in some way. I'm the one who's deficient. I'm the one who's fallen. It's a mica problem that God's grace doesn't just always stir me. And and let me just give you an example. We're in the pastoral epistles. So this this chapter is about not only life, but it's about ministry. And how do we carry out ministry? So let me give you a ministry example. Um, I'm coming up now on, on 12 months of planning and recruiting and working for getting a new student pastor into this church. And, and listen, kiddos, I want you to hear something. The, the, the adults in the room, we would all agree with this, that the next generation is the most important generation. When we think about ministry and focus and, and, and all the resources. And so we have worked very hard on bringing in a new student pastor. Even, and, and we're proud of this, we've worked hard that this next student pastor will be the first time we have a full-time position. 
We've had two student pastors before. The next one coming in, those have been part-time positions. This is going to be a full-time position. But we've been working on this for about a year now. And, and there's been high moments over the past year of working on this. For example, it's caused me to really be thankful for our first student pastor. If you didn't know Reese Bishop, Reese was wonderful. It's caused me to be really, really grateful for Grant Rose. Kids, you, you know Grant. I'm just so grateful for Grant. He did such a faithful job for us. Um, I, I've heard people talk about the importance of, of having an interim pastor on different points. I, I've never experienced that. I've just kind of known it in theory, but now I know it in practice. Like Brady has come in here. He's sacrificially served our students. He's sacrificially served our church, and I really see the wisdom uh, of having an interim. Another high point for me is, is I've interviewed a lot of young men who love the Lord and love ministry and want to come and serve at this church. And that's been so encouraging to me. But if I'm honest, I've also had some discouraging moments in this journey getting a new student pastor. Some of you have been on this search team, and you know that our plan last spring was to have a student pastor in place by the time we went to camp. We wanted to have a new student pastor at camp and then just kind of have the summer to get to know the students. And so collectively, we all made the decision, you know, we just don't feel like we've had uh, God has brought the guy yet, so we're just waiting. But there was an aspect of that that was discouraging. I wanted to have a guy in there and just kind of get going for the summer. Also, this fall, as we've started our search again, uh, we, we've kind of seriously, I've been kind of seriously talking to about five guys. But, but out of those five, there's kind of been two that emerged that, okay, th- these are probably the two top candidates. And, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to bring one of them in for an interview in January, but a couple of weeks ago, I got word from one of the two that he was taking a position at another church. Now, as much as I believe in God's grace and it's thematic in my life and ministry, I have to admit that I was discouraged there. Like I didn't naturally hear that news and say, God's got it. He's good. He's got a good plan for us. Like I have to admit that I threw a pity party, and I got angry, not, not about not at anyone or at him, but just kind of some of the dynamics of that that are out of my control. I was fearful. I was faithless. I didn't naturally, like, quickly believe in God's grace in that situation. I needed to kind of pull my head up out of kind of the weeds of ministry and kind of re- return to that re- refreshing place, that joyous place of God's grace. Titus 2, 11 to 15 is important. Because it, it's, it refreshes us once again. And it, this passage is less about the ins and outs of how to teach what accords to sound doctrine, Titus 2.1. That, that's what the, the previous passages have been about. They've been the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts of how to do Titus 2.1. What this section is going to do is really get to the heart of why we do that. So it's less about the, the, the practical stuff. And, the, and those things are important, okay? And, and hear me, those admonitions that we've waded through, how older men relate to younger men and older ladies relate to younger ladies and how we're supposed to work, all those are very important admonitions, but they're not refreshing. They're, they're not refreshing to our souls. They call us to something. They have charged us to something. But now we're at the refreshing point. We're, we're, we're going to go back to the gospel. So, so when we minister to others... We're not to forget God's grace and serve out of our own strength. So older men, they can teach younger men, but they can do it according to their own wisdom. Ladies can teach other ladies, but they can do it out of the wrong motivations. 
Like workers can, can uh, submit, but they can do it out of duty rather than delight. And as a result, we can miss the joy of ministry. That's why this passage is so important. And, and hear this too. If you're operating out of your own strength, you're going to be ineffective at ministry as well. So today we don't need to return to the nuts and bolts of the theme of Titus, but rather the heart of the theme. And again, the theme, if you're new with us, we've said that Titus is all about this charge to be devoted to good doctrine and good deeds. And today we're getting to the heart of that, the, the, the heart of how to do that and why to do that. So let's come up for some refreshing gospel air, if you will. Let's start in verse 11 and we'll go to 15. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. The first thing I want you to see is this call in verse 11 to live and minister out of his past grace. Look at that verse again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Again, this passage is different from the previous passage. It passages in that it's less practical and it's more theological. Theology is just the study of God. So, so it's this focus on good doctrine. So if you think the, the theme of this book is be devoted to good doctrine and good deeds, we, we've kind of been in this, uh, maybe the end of the spectrum, uh, focused on good deeds, but now we're going to be on the end of the spectrum uh, of good doctrine. So this is this kind of refreshing dive, if you will, into the gospel. However, as we've seen, you can't really divorce doctrine and deeds. Like That's the whole point of Titus, by the way. You, you can't just be this egghead reflecting on good doctrine and divorce that from a life of good deeds. And you're not going to live a life of good deeds, at least done the right way, if you don't bring your, your doctrine into it. So you can't divorce these. So as we increase in our knowledge of God, theology, we're also then to increase in our godliness. We're supposed to look more like him as we learn about him. We, we, should, be, uh, we should be concerned with grace because we need to be concerned with godliness. In other words, doctrine, specifically about the gospel of grace, it's to lead to holy lives justification by faith alone and Jesus's uh, gospel of grace alone. It's not meant to lead you to sin, but to sanctification. Ephesians 1, 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, grace, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Good deeds. Do you see the connection? So we're going to take this dive into the gospel of grace. And we're going to begin with verse 11. And what verse 11 does is it, is it looks back to the past. It's past grace. And, and then we're going to see a few present implications, and then we're going to close with this charge to proclaim Jesus' grace. But no matter the translation you have, most all the English translations that I could find in verse 11, they begin with the word for. That four is there, which links you back up to Titus 2.1. And Titus 2.1, again, is kind of the umbrella theme of the entire chapter, where it calls us to teach what accords with sound doctrine. So, 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 so that's, what, uh, that's the overarching charge 
for older men to younger women and women and bond servants. So generally, we're to teach and minister because of God's grace. Teach what accords to sound doctrine for the grace of God has come. So it's the reason you're to teach. It's the, it's the fuel that enables you to teach. It's also actually the, the content of what you're supposed to be teaching. Theologians say grace is unmerited favor. It's a good kind of short technical understanding of it. But what grace is, is it means that it is giving mercy when justice is deserved. So grace is favor and kindness, even when condemnation and disapproval are warranted. Grace is not, uh, it's not what we earn. Grace is what is freely given to us. It's a gift. It's not a paycheck. Brian Chapel says that grace annuls our works as the means of securing or maintaining God's affection. So the, the grace of God is just another way of saying the gospel. That's all of that is the gospel, unmerited favor, giving us mercy when we deserve justice. That's the gospel. And the good news is that God has given us the gift of pardon, not the justice of the law. Amen? That's the gospel. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Therefore, as the standard of God's law condemns you, the grace of God's gospel then forgives you. In, in fact, grace abounds over sin. It, 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 it washes over sin. So as we keep sinning, God just keeps giving us more grace to cover our sin. John, John 1.16 explains that we have grace upon grace. So as you sin and you're maybe building this wall of sin that then separates you from God, the image is, is that God's grace is like an ocean, wave after wave of grace that just kind of knocks down your little sandcastle of sin. It just abounds and it just it keeps coming grace on top of grace. But notice the good news that the grace of God has appeared. So in the past, God's grace showed up. We're at Christmas time. We know what that means. It means that Jesus showed up. In other words, God's grace is a person. It's a person who came out of heaven into earth, born in a manger, lived, a, lived in this world perfectly, and then died on a cross for our sins. But again, God's grace is a person. What that means is, is that grace is more than an idea. It's more than a sentiment. Jesus himself is grace, and he's all about grace. So unmerited favor, that's Jesus. And he's in the business of giving you unmerited favor, giving you mercy when you deserve justice, giving you kindness when you deserve condemnation. That's who he is, and that's how he ministers to you. And this is demonstrated by what he brought when he appeared. Look back at your verse. What, 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 what did he bring when he showed up? Salvation for all people. Isn't that glorious? When he showed up, salvation followed. And salvation for who? For all people. Now, of course, of course that doesn't mean, and we could spend the next hour with 50 verses to make this point, but of course that doesn't mean that everyone is saved, okay? This is not universalism. That's not what this verse means. What it means is that all kinds of people can be saved. When, when you fast forward into the heaven scenes in Revelation, you see God's people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations, all ethnicities, all classes. Jesus appeared and salvation spread to the entire world. That's what happened when he came. That's the, the grace of God. 
This is God's grace. Again, Ephesians 1.5 says, He chose us in Him. When Jesus came, you were given unmerited favor. You were given a good gift. You weren't given a judge's gavel. No matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're black or you're white or you're rich or you're poor, all can receive Jesus' grace. This is the gospel. This is the good doctrine. This is the good doctrine that you're supposed to teach. Doesn't the good doctrine warm your cold heart today? Is this good news to you? Like, doesn't His grace soften what is hard? Doesn't it free you to experience joy? Doesn't then that joy then spill out to then what you teach other people? The grace of God is the reason, the fuel, the content, the balm, the reward, the message, the medicine, the living water. It's all of those things. It's meant to stir you in that way. Do you need to savor it again today? Has it become stale and dried out to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Friend, if you're there, there's a rebuke here, okay? Has your heart become crusty and apathetic towards God's grace? Listen, if it has, then you're not going to teach it. And if that's where you are, I don't want to hear it from you because I don't want that. So if that's where you are, you're not going to teach it. And further, you're not going to experience the joy that comes from it. So Titus 2.11, it's calling you to live your life in response to his grace. And then it's going to call you to minister to others out of the power of that grace. But do you need to slow down and ponder the gospel of grace again? Do you need to, to savor it again? Listen, the call is to live and minister out of past grace. Maybe today you need to slow down and just toy with it again. As you ponder what his grace has accomplished for you in the past, I want to highlight three things that it presently accomplishes for you. The first one in verse 12 is, is that his grace presently trains us for good deeds. Look again at verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So in the past... Grace appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus showed up at Christmas, and that has implications for us today. Presently, God's grace helps us uh, uh, for good deeds. It trains us for good deeds. In other words, grace helps us say no, and grace helps us say yes. And, And by help, the word he uses here is train which has to do with instruction and education. So God's grace disciplines you and it chastises us. It protects us and it spurs us. It puts up walls and boundaries. It empowers us and preserves us to grow. Grace trains us to live good lives of good deeds. Again, God's grace helps us say no to certain things and say yes to other things. Grace helps us say no because God has given us unmerited favor through the person of Jesus. He is now presently training us to deny two things, ungodliness and worldly passions. So God's grace is helping you unlearn some things. Previously, you believed that that life and abundant life and joy would come from ungodliness, right? That's what marked your life before. And maybe you didn't have this built-out philosophy that backed that up, but, but that's how we functionally lived. However, we now know that we have experienced something better, right? So, so getting drunk was fun for a night, but Jesus is living water that never runs dry for eternity. 
Therefore, we are to return back to, to that well and let it coach us once again, saying, you know what, drunkenness and godliness, it's not going to lead to life. Further, before we believe that worldly passions and worldly riches, that would satisfy our souls, we believe that more stuff would make us happy. We believe that if we just had fill in the blank, then we would be happy. But, but then, even though maybe that for just gave us a momentary rush of getting that, it didn't actually lead to happiness, right? Those sneakers couldn't accomplish that, could they? They, they were fun to get on at Christmas, but, but, it, but it doesn't really satisfy our soul in a continual, eternal way, right? You see, getting that new trinket, maybe it gave us a momentary rush, but Jesus is like this treasure, this pearl that we've stumbled upon, and it's brought us this fulfillment that has just satisfied our souls to the degree that we would sell everything else, that we would sell everything else because this is the glorious treasure, Matthew 13. Grace helps us say no, but grace also helps us say yes. So Jesus' gospel of grace serves as this guide or this coach to live, as he says, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It helps us say yes to ourselves and to our neighbors and to God. So, so pondering the fact that God has given you mercy when he could have given you justice, it, it helps us live disciplined, holy lives. Like it helps us make, make, make healthy and holy decisions, okay? It, like his, his continued intercession, his continued uh, giving you mercy, that helps us act justly and kindly and fair towards others. It helps us then say edifying, building upwards instead of tearing downwards. It helps us be reconciled to people. Further, the gospel helps us forgive and turn the other cheek. In other words, it helps us look more like God. That's what God's grace accomplishes for you in the present. Again, grace is not meant to lead you to sin, but to sanctification. Romans 6, 1 and 2 say, But what shall we say then? Or do we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, Jesus' grace presently, it trains us to good deeds. Do you see that? When we ponder deeply the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, we don't walk away desiring that licentious living of the prodigal. And when we reflect upon that story, we also don't, we also don't desire the, the legalism of the older brother, Right? Like when we really reflect upon that, we, we want the godliness of the Father, right? That, that's what God's grace does to us. And friend, l- let me say it this way. If your beliefs about the gospel of grace, if that has led you to sinfulness and chasing fleshly desires and a lack of self-control and increased selfishness and wickedness, let me say it this way. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. That's not why he's extended you grace. That's not why he extends you grace each and every day. Listen, friend, if you're there, Titus 2, 11 to 15, it's just a check engine light. It's saying something's wrong in the engine of your soul. Something's off there. It's saying, listen, there's something better. It's calling you back to a deeper belief in the gospel. It's calling you back to to ponder again the, the grace of God because his grace trains us for good deeds. But the second present thing that it does, his grace presently helps us wait for future grace. Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So not only does His grace presently train us for good deeds, 
there's this other present benefit that helps us wait for future grace. So the Christian life, just to be clear, it's this, it's this journey of saying no to certain things and saying yes to other things. But the Christian life is also an experience of waiting. So grace helps us wait. And the Bible is clear that the, the, the Christian life is lived between two appearings. Jesus came at Christmas and he's going to come again at the end times. So when you look at the Old Testament, as they're looking forward to Christmas and waiting, we're actually in that, that same scenario. We're waiting for him to come again. So at Christmas, he incarnated himself. And then he lived this perfect life, and then he ascended up, and now he intercedes for us in heaven, but he's going to return. And God's past grace, it helps us in the present to believe that greater grace is coming, to, to believe that he's going to return. Why is he going to return? Well, because he said he was going to come the first time, and he came the first time. So now he's promising to come again, and so I can believe it. And his grace just fuels that for us. But we need to be careful at this point not to think that waiting, in a life of waiting, that that's some sort of like drudgery, okay? He's not calling you to unhappiness. Notice that we're to wait with hope. It's a blessed hope. So his grace helps us hope. That we have something good coming and we can hope in that. So in the present, we can be happy waiters. We can wait right here in a way that is happy because we believe good is coming. Because of his grace, we can live happy lives believing that we have a good future. And listen, that's, that's the real secret of the Christian life. The real secret of the Christian life is that we have hope no matter how bad it gets in this present life. No matter how bad it gets for you, you can face it with hope. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. In other words, no matter the trial of this life, you can face it with happiness, believing that good glory awaits you. Like we can walk in hope based upon the fact that grace was extended to us in the past. He's extending it to us right now constantly, and he's going to give us even more glorious grace in the future. God will show up again. Friends, our, our present experience is waiting, but our waiting is a hopeful waiting. We wait with happiness and joy, knowing that, that a blessed hope is coming. Glory will return. Jesus is coming back. Our longings for judgment are going to be realized. Like our, our, our deepest longings for righteousness and peace and wholeness and happiness and health and joy, they're going to come with his kingdom that he brings. All of those things are coming. We know future grace awaits, and thus we can experience present happiness and hope right now. However, not only does grace train us for good deeds and help us to wait with hope, but it also redeems us to good deeds. Notice this third present thing that it accomplishes for us in verse 14. His grace presently redeems us for good deeds. Verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So, the third way that his grace presently ministers to us is that it redeems us. Grace redeems. Remember Mark 10, 45? 
For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He has voluntarily laid down his life to buy you back. He has redeemed you. He, is, he gave himself for us. Meaning that he, was, uh, that he was atoning for us in that moment. He was our substitute, dying in our place. A death that, that, that you couldn't die enough death for your sin. And, and he did it then to, uh, as, as this glorious exchange, as a substitute for you. Sinclair Ferguson says it, that he made Christ to be sin for us. And he counted the righteousness of Christ to us. What an exchange. Isn't that good news? The master becomes the slave so that the slave can go free. Amen? Be careful on that. Be careful on that grace because the master didn't free the slaves for them to put themselves back into slavery or or to put anybody else into bondage. You see, he redeemed us from all lawlessness in order to purify, is what he says. Grace purifies. Uh, Romans 6, 17 and 18 say, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So redemption is... It includes purification. He, he purchased you in order to purify you. He purchased you from slavery to give you freedom to live a pure life. Here's how Charles Wesley sang it. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Isn't that good news? He's purified you. But, but look again at, at your verse. Not only does his grace purify but his purification leads to possession. Look again at verse 14. It says that he purified for himself a people for his own possession. So the good news gets even better. So that, that gracious ransom that purifies, it actually leads to intimacy with God. Do you see that? This isn't just this cold exchange that happened. There's an exchange that happened and lead to purification, but that leads to possession. God wants to draw close to you. Through his grace, he wants to, to know you. He draws you near to himself. So I, I don't know about you, but all these gospel truths, they stir my soul. Do they stir you? You're not going to find anything better than this out there. This is the glorious stuff. This is the stuff that is meant to stir you and inspire you and bring you joy. Christians are, are products of God's grace. And when we've really tasted that well, it becomes this source of life that we return to over and over and over again. And listen, God has built you that way. If you're a Christian, God has built you in such a way that as you ponder the good doctrine, as you just go deep in your thoughts on God's grace, as you really reflect upon it, you know what happens? You then become zealous for good works, is what he says there. It leads to that. He's calling you to go deep in that. And when you go deep into his grace, his grace energizes you. It gives you passion. It gives you strength. You see, returning to God's grace, it results to this desire to put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, Colossians 3. I guess we truly understand God's grace. We end up desiring to 
Put on the new self, Colossians 3. We, we want to walk according to the Spirit. And, and this displayed love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5. That's what His grace does to us. We, we know that God's grace has done for us in the past, but this is what it does for us in the present. Isn't that glorious? Transformation and joy. All that comes from His grace, and it only gets better as you reflect upon it. And then I think this passage ends at a pretty obvious final charge. Kind of a duh at the end of it. If all that glorious gospel truth, if all of that is truly true, therefore declare His grace, verse 15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. What Paul does is he ends with a punch. I've taken you up into the clouds. Now declare it. Declare it. Exhort it. Exhort other people. Rebuke other people with it. Teach sound doctrine, Titus 2.1. And then, Titus, or then Paul gives us these instructions for what it means uh, for ministry to men and women and workers. And then he reminds us of the ground of all that ministry, which is the gospel of grace, verse 11. God's grace is the content of our teaching. It's what inspires us and fuels us to ministry. It's also what brings us joy as we minister. And God's grace, it happened in the past when Jesus showed up, but it has these present implications. It helps us say no to certain things. It helps us say yes to other things. It leads to godliness, and God's grace helps us wait in the present, knowing that Jesus will show up again. His grace redeems us. It purifies us. It energizes us. And if all that is true, if you truly believe it, if it really stirs you, then declare it to the rooftops. That's where he lands. He says, just talk about it, shout about it, sing about it. If all that's true to you, use the gospel of grace to exhort and encourage others. Use the gospel of grace to rebuke and correct others and be bold about it. Listen, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't know if they're going to like me about it. Let me just, let me beat you to the punch. They're not going to. They're not going to pat you on the back for it. They're not going to celebrate you for it. They're not going to cheer you on for it. There's always going to be opposition if you're proclaiming it, Okay. But, but you know what? Who cares what they think about you? Teenagers, who cares? Because grace tells us what the Creator God thinks about you. So who cares what she thinks about you? Proclaim it with boldness. It, it doesn't matter what they think because all that matters is what He thinks about you. And we know what grace says about that. Only God's opinion of you ultimately matters. Are you ministering out of His grace? And what I mean is, are you going back to the well of grace? Are you letting it refresh you as you minister out of joy? What I mean is, is are you serving in your own strength or letting His, his grace fuel you to where you're not really operating out of your own strength, you're operating out of His strength? In other words, Titus 2, 11 to 15, it's calling you to live good godly lives, but out of His grace, not out of your own moral strength. The gospel isn't, you got saved by His grace, now pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's so much better than that. You got saved by His grace, now keep going back to it and let that fuel you. I'll put my cards on the table. I, I, I think that uh, for a decade pastoring this church, 
I think I've actually been operating not in my giftedness, but out of my giftedness, okay? And, and listen, I, I believe in spiritual gifts and, and those things. I think that's important to, to understand that. But if you're one of those people that say, okay, my spiritual gift is right here, and I'm only going to operate right here. I'm not going to do That's not my spiritual gift. I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not spiritual. I'm just right here. Honey, <laughs> come on. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I, I've been operating in my, what I think is my spiritual gift for a decade, okay? But, but, but I'm not complaining, okay? I'm not complaining to you. Let, let me tell you why. Because when I'm not operating out of my spiritual giftedness, I'm leaning on him, and you know what that does? It's sanctifying. But, but here's the deal. Week after week, I've had to go back to God's promise in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Amen? So, you see, when you live and minister out of his power, not your power, he sanctifies you. That's the pathway to godliness. That's a pathway to joy. However, you have to return over and over and over again to that promise. My grace is sufficient. When you return to that, what you'll find is godliness and joy. You know what happens when you go back to that well of grace and live and minister believing that his grace is sufficient? You end up enjoying his grace. Like you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to to hide because, you know, he's accepted you according to his grace. It's all done out of his strength anyway. You can freely say, yeah, yeah, I'm not good at that. I'm trusting on him. You don't have to hide. You can just sit back and enjoy his mercy. You're moved in, in deep ways by the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15. You cry tears of joy as you read the story of the woman at the well, John 4. Like your, your soul is just softened again as you read about Aslan dying on the stone table for Edmund. Like your, your heart just warms again over the account of Elizabeth Elliot, forgiving those, those Amazon men who killed her husband. You marvel at Rachel Denhollander for extending grace to her abuser. You can't contain your emotions over that, just the divine nature of the moment when Ethel Lance's daughter forgave in a courtroom that, that racist young man who killed her mother and eight others in 2015 at the Emmanuel AME church shooting. His grace is amazing, isn't it? Does, does that stir you? Is that beautiful to you? If it's beautiful to you, declare it. That's the charge. Find ways to talk about it with your friends and your family. There, there's some Redeemer Kid t-shirts in here. It means go teach a Redeemer kids class and proclaim it to the next generation. It means join a community group so you can have friends to enjoy it with. If you're a writer, write about it. If you're a singer, sing about it. There's no better news. His grace is beautiful. His grace is amazing. Amen? And friends, if God's grace and reflecting upon God's grace, if that doesn't refresh your soul, then I'm here to tell you you have a heart problem. If this passage is boring to you today, it's not the passage's fault. You've got a heart problem. It's a check engine light. Maybe your heart is hard and there is a belief that you need to turn from. And maybe your heart is cold and there's a behavior that you need to turn from. But if his grace is not amazing to you, 
then you're not going to go through life doing ministry out of his strength. You're going to go through life doing ministry out of your own strength. And when you live life in ministry, doing it out of your own strength, it leads to pride. You can accomplish great things, but it doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't lead to joy in him. But when God's grace amazes you, when it's beautiful to you, your heart is filled with joy. You're eager to live a godly life. You, you, you with joy and happiness, you, you look ahead at the future. It energizes you to serve and to proclaim him. Titus 2.11, it's actually a pathway to joy. That's his grace amaze you. In the 1940s, an African pastor named Emmanuel Simbomana, he, he wrote a hymn titled, Oh, How the Grace of God Amazes Me. We could do amazing grace. We could land it there. But, but this is one you haven't heard. Listen to his word. And, and, I, and I like this hymn because it, it gets into the details of grace and, and how it continues to amaze him and bring his joy. I, I want to read the whole thing. Just hang with me as we, as we look at the whole hymn. Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. It loosed me from my bonds and set me free. What made it happen so? His own will, this much I know, set me as now I show at liberty. My God has chosen me, though one of not to sit beside my king in heaven's court. Hear what my Lord has done. Oh, the love that made him run to meet his erring son. This has God wrought, not for my righteousness, for I have none, but for his mercy's sake, Jesus, God's son, suffered on Calvary's tree, crucified with thieves was he. Great was his grace to me, his wayward one. And when I think of how at Calvary he bore sin's penalty instead of me, amazed, I wonder why he, the sinless one, should die for one so vile as I, my Savior, he. Now all my heart's desire is to abide in him, my Savior dear in him, to hide my shield and buckler he, covering and protecting me from Satan's darts. I'll be safe at his side. Lord Jesus, hear my prayer. Your grace impart when evil thoughts arise through Satan's art. Oh, drive them all away. And do you from day to day keep me beneath your sway, King of my heart. Come now. The whole of me, eyes, ears, and voice. Join me, creation, all with joyful noise. Praise him who broke the chain, holding me in sin's domain, and set me free again. Sing and rejoice. Brothers and sisters, let God's grace refresh your soul again. And because of God's grace, declare the message of good doctrine leading to good deeds. Amen. Let's pray. Because of your grace, Lord, because of your grace is why we're here, why we continue to be here, because of your grace is why we have joy, because of your grace is why we can, in some sense, walk faithfully, because of your grace is why we can minister to others, because of your grace is why we can have a, a well of living water that never runs dry. Father God, refresh us again with your grace. We're all going to go through seasons of hard hearts and cold hearts. But Spirit, come, refresh us again. Soften us, warm us, bring us the joy that only comes from your grace. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.